What's happening, y'all? Welcome to Throwing Stones. I'm Matt Basson. He's Ryan Griffin. You don't know by now. You should know. We're talking hoops, hoops, and more hoops, and not just our beloved Pistons. Before we get rolling, got to remind you, like, subscribe, everywhere you can find us. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok. What am I forgetting? Instagram. We on there, too. (laughs) All right, All the things you spend your time on all day. Just real quick. (laughs) Two seconds. Real quick. Um... We got to dive right in. There's drama in La La Land, and LeBron is at it again, man. Head coach comes in, head coach goes out. We've seen this before. Frank Vogel, Los Angeles Lakers, already agreeing to split at year's end. Uh, we It depends how you look at it with the LeBron situation. Like, you think of all the greats that have played the game of basketball. Michael Jordan had Phil Jackson. Kobe and Shaq had Phil Jackson. Magic had Pat Riley. You know, Larry Bird had some pretty decent coaches out in uh, Boston. Casey Jones, pretty good one. Uh, you got LeBron. And who's the greatest head coach that's really coached for him? Now, by the time his career is done, we're going to say Eric Spolstra. Absolutely. But when Eric Spolstra coached him, Eric Spolstra wasn't Eric Spolstra yet. He was the guy behind Pat Riley, essentially. And then he became the guy in front of Pat Riley. And Pat Riley was kind of doing this behind him. But LeBron and head coaches has never been a good mesh. And here we are again, a team that, let's not mince words here, LeBron put together. And shocker, because this happens every time, it's not working. So Vogel getting the boot. Yeah, uh, the only thing I'd, I guess I'd push back on is as far as Eric Spolstra, like when Phil Jackson was coaching the Bulls the first time, like he wasn't Phil Jackson yet. Um, but, you know, Eric Spolstra is a, a, a really good coach. They had that top, what, 12 NBA coaches ever or something of all time. And I'm pretty sure he was 15, on that list. I think it was. That it was- came out, yeah, a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe like a, a month or two ago at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not Vogel's fault, right? Whatever's happened with Los Angeles – you gave him uh, always injured Anthony Davis. You gave him a Russell Westbrook who doesn't appear like he wants to take any role besides what Russell Westbrook has always taken, which is the the number one man. I'm going to get my numbers. You know, I'm going to turn the ball over. They ask him about it in the press conference. He says, I'll just turn it over again. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and then, you know, you give him a, a LeBron James who is a, a, a great teammate on the basketball court, but off the court, I can't imagine he's so endearing to, you know, all these different players. And then the rest of the Lakers roster, like, truthfully, is just garbage. Like, Avery Bradley plays a bunch of minutes for them. Avery Bradley got cut by the Warriors before the season started. Uh, you know, who else do they have? Uh, Austin Reeves, who's been better than I guess you thought he would be. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they're relying on minutes, um, you know, from from guys like Dwight Howard, right? Or just, like, older stars. This is yeah, the oldest mellow. team. Yeah, Melo is the, literally the oldest team in NBA history. Mm-hmm. And you gave Frank Vogel this roster. Two years ago, they won a title. You know, a lot of that was probably COVID-aided since it allowed LeBron and Anthony Davis you know, to rest their bodies at the end of the regular season before the bubble ramp back up. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Frank Vogel is a bad coach. I don't think any of the pitfalls with Los Angeles are really his fault. But much like with LeBron teams we've seen in the past and really any team that has a star – 
and they just kind of fizzle out after a while. You know, the coach is always the one who feels like, you know, ends up getting punished or blamed. Typically, you're not moving on from the star. You're going to move on from the the coach. Right. But in this particular instance, there is a track record with said star. Now, when he came into the league with the Cavaliers, LeBron didn't have a great head coach, you know, and then it became Mike Brown very quickly after that. And Mike Brown got a lot of praise and stuff. I, you know, he's a defensive coach and he worked under, you know, Greg Popovich. And so like there was all this fanfare to go along with his name of what he could be. And I just, I never, I never thought of him personally as a good coach. And I think for me personally, what told me for sure I was right that he wasn't a good coach was when the Cavaliers lost to Orlando in the playoffs the year the Lakers just smashed the Magic in the finals in 09 because you had a team that was killing you from outside and a center to go with in Dwight Howard who was killing Zadrunas Ogowskis. And on your bench, you have Ben Wallace. You have Ben Wallace on your bench and you're not playing him at all, at all. What are you doing? You have a center who went toe-to-toe with Shaq and was able to hold his own. He Is Dwight Howard going to beat him? Yes, of course he is. But is Ben Wallace going to do maybe enough to keep your team in this still and give you guys a chance to win that, that round? I think personally, yes. And I didn't see any adjustments made by Mike Brown when you realize that the Magic are just going to kill you as outside shooting of Hito Turkoglu and Richard Lewis to go along with the inside game of Dwight Howard at that point. And you make no adjustments to really attack that and find a way to defend it. I was like, yeah, I, this guy this guy cannot coach. And so when LeBron left after all those debacles in Cleveland, I always said I understood it. You were give, He gave you seven years, and the best players he got back in those seven years was an over-the-hill Shaq and Antoine Jameson. Larry like Hughes was an all-star. Like, yeah, but, but that's it. But like the players he got in his first seven years, and you can throw out the fan favorite things of Anderson Verjao, Zildrunas, Boogie, all that Antoine crap. Jay, maybe. Yeah, they're not that great of basketball players. All right, so you didn't give this man much help. So he had to go. The way he did it, I'll still never understand. I think it was a terrible decision. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> but so then he goes to Miami, and it was going to be Pat Riley, right? And then Pat Riley dipped and gave it to Eric Spolstra, but Pat Riley was still going to be an advisory role. I think that was the way it worked his first year in Miami. And then it just became Spo completely after that. Worked out well in Miami. But as Brian Windhorst, ESPN's Brian Windhorst, went on to say this you know, this past week, is that LeBron has this, this four-year itch, essentially, where... He did it in Miami. It was four years. They went to four finals, had great teammates around him, but they run out of their draft picks by bringing in all these players. And by the time everything is done, the players are getting older and they're tired and they want to retire or they're just not playing as well. He goes back to Cleveland, who, while he was gone, got three first-round picks out of the four years that he's in Miami. I still don't understand how that ever happened, probably just to make sure LeBron went back to Cleveland. Does a four-year run in Cleveland, gets rid of the young cats that could become something to bring in guys he wants to play with. They went to the finals a bunch of times. They won one of them. And then he's off to La La Land. That's your team. And, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. While he was in Cleveland, they he kicked out David Blatt, brought in his boy, Ty Lue. Well, that worked out. 
And in L.A., versus Luke Walton. Shocker here, Luke Walton's last year in L.A. is LeBron's first year. <laughs> so that wasn't happening. They bring in Frank Vogel. They win a bubble title. And like you said, COVID, I think, played a big factor in that. You gave older bodies chances to rest. But just like in Cleveland, just like in Miami, the young cats are swept out to bring in guys that LeBron wants. Now, look, we can we can nitpick, and I'm going to, <laughs> but he went to a lot of finals. Won a couple of them, but he went to a lot of finals. But you are you're hemorrhaging the you're hemorrhaging the franchise to let this man have a couple of years with you. And he's probably not going to leave LA. It's LA. He enjoys his family being there, the stardom, the fame, the you know, the luck, the life of luxury. Cuz look, you can have a great life of luxury in Cleveland. It's going to be a heck of a lot better in LA. Probably a heck of a lot better in Miami too, but I'm still going to take LA over South Beach me personally. But we've seen this cycle from LeBron where it just ends up killing a franchise for years afterwards. Yeah, this is what LeBron does. And I think the reason is LeBron is such a smart basketball player. Like, he has such a high basketball IQ. So he has to be a dumb GM? (laughs) No, but when he's butting heads with the coaches, it's, like, hard to tell LeBron James, no, you're wrong, this is what you should be doing, because LeBron's going to feel like he's smarter than the coach. And in some cases, he might be absolutely right. But what that does is it clouds your judgment into thinking you're right all the time. And that's not what happens. That's what gets the coaches frustrated. That's what gets the other players frustrated. And frankly, that's what gets like LeBron frustrated. And this year is, I think, we've seen, at least on the court, it seems like it's the most frustrated LeBron has ever been. You know, I know off the court, he's on Snapchat and Instagram Live, drinking wine, living his best Los Angeles lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But on the court, it seemed like he's yelling at his teammates more, especially when the Lakers, uh, you know, were, I mean, I say in a slump, but they've been in a slump all season. They're facing elimination tonight. By the time this comes out, they might very well be eliminated from the playoffs. The only defense that I would give LeBron in the whole coach killing narrative, which it, which I do think is a fair one, right? I don't think it's something that you do, that you say just if you hate LeBron is the coaches he's run out, a lot of them have largely been trash. Mm-hmm. Luke Walton went to the Kings, super bad there. Mike Brown, uh, he went to the Lakers. They saw enough after five games. They started on five, and then they oh, swept them out. Said, oh, hell no. <laughs> David Blatt never got another NBA head coaching opportunity after taking a team to the finals. So, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel is probably, sadly, the best coach that he's gotten fired. Um he, he tried it with Spo too, and then Pat Riley had the chutzpah to tell him, "No, we're not. We're nope. not doing that. I don't care who you are. I'm Pat Riley." <laughs> and if if you're LeBron, it makes a lot of sense when you look at the names that the Lakers are going after. Right? It was reported in the same piece, I think, by Jake Fisher, is the one who reported uh, Vogel and the Lakers are uh, are going to split at season end. The Lakers are eyeing Doc Rivers who obviously coaches the the Sixers, and then Quinn Snyder, who coaches the Jazz. And with those two guys, they're both better coaches than Frank Vogel. I don't think it's really even a debate. And the Lakers don't have any draft picks. They are the oldest team in basketball history. Their group of young guys are pretty much non-existent, right? You got Taylor Horton Tucker, who 
it's now it looks like a mistake that they extended him and chose him over some of the other guys that they ended up, you know, choosing him over, famously refusing to trade him for Kyle Lowry just last year because they they liked what they had so much mm-hmm. um, in him. So for LeBron, I don't blame him at all for trying to get a better established coach in there when he knows his championship window is like this thin, at least in Los Angeles, which is where I assume he would want to finish his career, although he's already said he's going to play um, at least with the Sun for at least one year, but who knows how far off like in the future that is. So while the Lakers are bad, or even while they still have LeBron and Anthony Davis, maybe they can move some pieces around, try and trick somebody to take Russell Westbrook. To me, it makes sense for him to want to get the best coach possible. Even if Frank Vogel isn't a bad coach, say he is a top 10 coach in the NBA. I don't think he is. He might be on the fringe. He's obviously one of the only ones with the championship. If you can try and get a top five coach like Doc or Quinn Snyder in there, to me, it makes all the sense in the world for LeBron to do it. I would kind of like to see Doc Rivers there. I just think it'd be hilarious like clashing of egos because doc has a coaching ego of his own mm-hmm. right he threw he throws players under the bus he threw james harden under the bus like three days ago so for for doc you know someone who's won a championship obviously beating lebron along that route to to get to the title that's personally what i'm rooting for um and i i think he'd be a fool to take the lakers job next year though with how this roster question. looks do you think it's going to make any difference like, if I ask you to tell me the offensive strategy of any of LeBron's head coaches, could you tell me what it was? Could you tell me what their offensive game plan was? Because to me, it's LeBron is the ball, LeBron is the ball, LeBron is the ball, LeBron is the ball. His teammates stand around. They might run from side to side a little bit and change positions from three to four and two to three. But I don't see anything as far as a fluid offensive movement in basketball with his teams. You know, and look, coming off of what we're watching and we'll be talking about at the end of this show, winning time, you know, talking about Jack McKinney talking to Kareem and trying to get Kareem involved, you know, in the offense and Kareem sitting there going, you know, by the end of the game, I'm going to have 30 points. I'm going to have 10 rebounds. Like to me that like when I heard that, I'm like, that's LeBron. Because you can't talk to this man about a different kind of offense. It's when, definitely LeBron this year. He's going after the scoring title. Hard. Right. And that's the thing is he's getting his. He will always get his. He is bigger, stronger, faster than anybody else in the NBA. He is always going to be able to get his. That is what's made his life so, quote unquote, easy in the NBA is when you have a high skill set and you also happen to be six foot, eight and a half, 260 pounds of a mostly muscle and it's a league where you can bully your way into the paint and get fouls called, get to the free throw line, get his buckets and dunks because he's freakishly athletic, and we've always known that. But I was talking to my – you know, I was gone for this last week, and I was talking to one of my best friends out there, and he's a big LeBron head. Mm-hmm. And I posed a question to him. So LeBron right now, he's going to be – no, no, this was, this was a hypothetical LeBron career question, actually. So LeBron right now in real life, six times to the finals – Four and six record. He's going to end up being, right? Or seven. Ten times to the finals. Ten times to the finals. You said six times to the finals. Sorry, sorry. Ten times to the finals. Four and six record. He's going to end up being the number one scorer of all time, most likely. All yeah. right. He is stupidly high on the assist lists, on the rebounding list. All the all the stats. LeBron is up there. Mm-hmm. Do Till you Luca think, passes him in 20 years. 
say LeBron had a different outlook in basketball. Say he had a more Magic Johnson outlook in basketball. Uh, I'm not worried about my points. I'm worried about the team winning. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this team win. Now, I'm not saying LeBron isn't like this. Yes, I am. (laughs) But say in the end, LeBron's career was top six scorer of all time. Not top five. He got the number six. Okay? So he wasn't a top five scorer of all time. But he went to the same number of finals as he's been to. And he's seven and three in the finals instead of four and six. Because his style of basketball invited players who wanted to be there because they knew they were going to get theirs playing with him. Is that a better career and a better legacy than what he's put up in real life? If he had seven championships, probably. It, it would depend, I think, a little bit on the stats, though. You know, is he he's at 27 a game now. Is he still at 20 or is he down to like 13? Well, no, no, but, he's but at 12 he's, no, no, he's the sixth greatest scorer of all time in terms of points. Yeah, but you don't know who the sixth greatest scorer of all time is now. So, like, it's it sounds impressive on a resume list, but if you're like, hey, who's number six? You'd be like, yeah, yeah, I don't know who number five is actually. I don't know who's below. I don't know. I don't know who's below MJ. Uh, I now the I'd say the only thing about that hypothetical, and it is a hypothetical, is if you're giving them those same matchups, I think even with a more pass outlook even though he's considered a pass first player anyway like they lost he lost three times to the warriors i don't think they beat any of those warriors teams you know if lebron is throwing the ball to you know kyrie irving more um or even you know in the last one he didn't even have kyrie irving so if he's right. trying no, no. to pass to hypothetical, he would definitely have better overall teammates around him than what he's had besides just his star teammates um, uh, so I, I don't know. It is a good question because then you're leaning more on the championships, but a lot of LeBron's go argument now comes from the fact that he's on this list of fastest player ever to 20,000, 30,000 mm-hmm. and no only Every player thousand. ever with, yeah, 30,000 points and 10,000 assists and 8,000 or, you know, just whatever like that number is. Um, he's the only one guy on a lot of those lists and that's where people point to him being the, the goat. Uh, so I, I think it I think it would be interesting. I think probably what hurts LeBron, honestly, even more in the GOAT case, is there's still this weird narrative now that he's not clutch. And it might have been true his first couple of years in the league, even though he beat the Pistons by being the one of the most clutch players of all time, at least in that game. Right. Um, but it's you know points. him him passing up the last shot. Right. That's that's always been something that's been knocked against them. He did it this year. I forgot who he passed the ball to. Um, but it was another de- another debate uh, next day on first take on Undisputed. This is why LeBron can't be the GOAT because he's passing the ball. So I don't know that him passing the ball more would help his argument. The team success would, obviously. But right. then I think uh, the stats case where now it goes to LeBron, I think that would sh- shift towards more Jordan. And I don't know. I I feel like you'd still have more people who consider MJ the GOAT. I do like the question, though. It's one that I've never thought about. Well, so in in my mind, what goes along with, you know, because we all know LeBron can pass, obviously, look at his assist numbers. But it's in the offense that it bothers me more than anything else. And that's why I brought up Magic and the offense the Lakers ran around him with Showtime, where it was make or miss, we move him. Everyone find a lane. 
I'm going to find somebody for an easy basket. And LeBron never was that. It was get into a half-court offense, give LeBron the ball, and hope something happens. It's been that way in L.A. It was that way in Cleveland. It was that way in Miami towards the end. And it's that way in Cleveland the first time around, where it's just – I don't know what offense they run with LeBron. I mean, it's it's you know a heliocentric offense, which now you've seen adapted and even uh, opti- not optimized because that, that implies that it's doing better. But I guess just – it enhancer used on steroids with a guy like Luca or what Harden, you know, used to be. Uh, so it's still kind of that same offense where the thought was always surround LeBron with four shooters and then let him go to work. But, you know, his best success came with the heat where he didn't have four shooters around him. You know, they tried to turn Chris Bosh into a shooter and he got there eventually, but Dwayne Wade was never a shooter. Now they did have guys like Ray Allen and Shane Battier. So maybe that's the point. Mike Miller. Get, get LeBron another ball handler because Kyrie's the same way. I mean, Kyrie's an outstanding shooter in his own right. But right. Kyrie was never the, hey, play the shooter role, right? Mm-hmm. Just go stand in the corner and, and I'll find you. So m- maybe that's it, right? Get three shooters and then just one more ball handler uh, for LeBron. And then, you, uh, and, and then you can find some success with them because it's still, you know, the best success he's had has been with Dwayne Wade and, uh, and Kyrie Irving. All right, I'm tired of talking about old stuff. Let's talk about new stuff. Let's talk about young stuff. We got young cats here in Detroit on our stones. We snatched one of them up last year, Killian Hayes. A lot of people disappointed with that pick, disappointed with the career that that he had this his first year where he only played, what, not even half the games. No, (laughs) 26 games. 27 games? Yeah. So – you know, you know the argument when we talk about young cats. It's, you know, let's give them a full year. And when we say a full year, we mean a full year's worth of basketball. Yep. 82 well, games. 82 games. Killian Hayes, we passed that year point, Ryan. Yep. My man. So I I love the Killian Hayes pick. We did a uh on our on our old podcast and on Detroit Sports Nation, so you guys can probably find it. We did a NBA draft like reaction. Um type of show i believe or maybe we did it straight on the podcast i can't remember but we i was super excited about killian hayes i thought he was the best player in the draft that he was drafted in and you know through the first the the first year of his nba season definitely did not shake out that way and a lot of parts of this nba season didn't shake out that way but you know what's happened is jeremy grant has gone down uh Cade hurt himself please god be all right uh and Killian Hayes has really come on. Now, I know the Pistons are tanking, so they're playing Hayes like 40 minutes, right? So I know it's not he's not putting up these numbers in a typical 28 to 32 minutes a night. You know, they need him to play and play a lot, but he's been playing well. You know, just the other night he had 26 points, seven boards, eight assists, and five steals, and he's the first Piston with a 25, 5, 5, and 5 game, mm-hmm. you know, since Grant Hill did it in 1998, you know, more than 20 years ago. So that's the type of uh, versatility that I think Killian Hayes brings, and it's the type of versatility that I think, um, you know, that I saw at least in his game when we picked him. Not saying he's going to be Grant Hill. He's probably not. Um, and he's not going to have the opportunity to be because Cade Cunningham is going to be the guy with the ball in his hands most of the time. Mm-hmm. But I do think Killian Hayes can grow into a really nice player here, and I just wish – 
Pistons fans and even fans in general, because it's not just a Detroit thing, aren't so quick to write off a guy after like an injury riddled first season. And then the second season where, again, they're just getting hurt like sporadically and you're not able to keep that uh, keep that momentum, you know, especially these young guys. Right. Killian's coming into the NBA. I think it was 18 years old, 18 or 19. Yeah. Like give him give him three years. Then let's yeah. <laughs> see what you have. Even give him five and he's still 23 years old. Like just. Just be patient and see what you have, and I think the killing. I think the Pistons do have a good one in Killian. Well, I'll tell you what I see over the last so many games is a confidence that we didn't see as much. Well, he's you know, step back threes after crossovers, right? And and a and when he's driving to the hoop, it looks like he knows what he's doing, whether it is for his own or to kick out. You know, he's not shying away from contact. You know, he's got a little bit of swagger to him. Which is nice to see, and we're starting to see, we're starting to see what could be with someone like this. Now, is he going to be a thirty night, you know, thirty point a night game? No, Maybe, might not even be a twenty, but he can be a fifteen, and he can get you eight assists, yeah, and he buddy. can get you a few rebounds and some steals and, and lockdown defensively. Like you give me a back a backcourt pairing of Cade, what he does, and the points that he can score. And then Killian chipping in his own 15 to 17 a night to go along with some really great defense and his own six, seven assists a game. That sounds like a winner to me. If Killian is giving you 15, eight assists, six boards, and like two steals a night, yeah, you're, I'm not going to shut up about it. You're going to, you're going to get tired of me (laughs) talking about Killian Hayes because that would be the, the perfect compliment next to Cade. You know, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, when he was drafted, I thought the two could really mesh well together because they can both handle the ball and they can both defend. And that's something that he's always been able to do. Even when he was disappointing last year, uh, he was still a, re- a really good defender. So I'm really excited for this. I hope it's not just like he's putting up numbers on a team that's tanking and a team right. that is also playing Isaiah Livers 35 minutes. Yeah. Like I-, I hope that's not the case. And uh, I don't think it is. I think he'll be able to continue this type of play with uh you know with with what you just said with that improving confidence and i cannot wait to see it yeah so i mean you know we, we've talked about our stones for a long time and even before we got Cade, um you know we had talked about the the team that had been on the floor for the last four years in detroit and there is one thing i was screaming about all the time and it was we have no shooters we had no shooters in the last four or five years of Detroit, there's nobody on the floor that can just get their own shot whenever they want it. And I don't know. I don't know if I want to go as far as say Sadiq Bay is that, but he's starting to look a little more like it. Yeah. yeah and no. I'm I'm starting to imagine the future. And if the future is the backcourt of Caden Killian, those are two guys with phenomenal court vision. And we need shooters around them because, look, Cade, we've seen what he can do. Cade can get his own. He absolutely can get his own, and he knows when to pass it. He knows when to take it himself. Killian's starting to show that he can. he's you know more confident driving the ball, and he seems to have a hell of a kick out when he needs to use it. But he's also starting to show that he can finish around the rim as well. Sadiq yeah. Bay really turning into a shooter for us here in Detroit. Man, if Sadiq gets a second contract, he's going to shatter the Pistons' all-time three-point record. So we need some more, though. 
And if we get a couple more, one or two more shooters, maybe in this draft, maybe in a free agency, we know that Jeremy Grant is not going to be here any longer. Let's see what we can get back for him. Um, we don't know that, but we, we know that. <laughs> <laughs> but with this young team, and the and you can see Troy Weaver, you can see, you know, you can kind of see what he sees and what he's putting in place. I think we're in a really good position for these next two years of really making a leap. You know, if we can bring in a couple shooters to go along with this backcourt, because they did not give up on Killian. And I think he's at the end of this year has given them reason to make sure not to give up on him. Yeah. I'm especially if they get a, you know, a top three pick, right. As I think if I think the fourth player in this draft, no matter who's drafting is probably going to be Jaden Ivy and he can be great too. And the Pistons still need talent. But if you have him and Killian and uh, and Cade, obviously, that that's a lot of ball handlers. Two of them who can't really shoot that well, um, and Cade, who's probably the best with the ball in his hand. So I do think it's a weird fit. If the Pistons fall to four, I'm taking them and worrying about the fit afterwards, honestly. But if they get one of the three bigs in this draft, whether it's Chet, Jabari, or uh, or you know Paolo, then. This is a team who can honestly fight for the play-in next year because they're going to have Kate. They're going to have Sadiq Bey, who's just oozing with confidence no matter if he's making or missing a shot, right? Isaiah Livers, he looks like a contributing player. He doesn't look like a starter in the NBA, but look where you got him, right? He was mm-hmm. picked 54 or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like m- Maybe a little higher than that. Maybe I didn't give him quite enough credit. Uh, but you have, again, Isaiah Stewart, uh, uh, energy guy, not really a big, but he plays center. He's just mm-hmm. not, not that big compared, you know, in NBA standards. Um, but that's an energy guy. You have uh, Kelly Olenek, who I think is still on the contract, you know, a nice vet who, when he's gotten minutes for the Pistons, uh, has played well. I know he's been off and oh, that boy crap. That boy uh, crap. You know, get, Killian, Killian Hayes again. Um, even guys like Frank Jackson and, and Marvin Bagley. Um who have played better than you know expectations w- would lead you to believe, and if Cade is really that dude that we all think he is, if the Pistons are able to pair him with another rookie, uh, you know who can hit the top of this draft looks very well. No matter if you're drafting one, two, or three, and to an extent even four, but like really those top three guys all look like not like they're can't miss, but look like they're really like r- they're gonna be really good players, um, and they can contribute at an NBA level then, you know, the sky isn't the limit for the Pistons next year, but it's a team that you can easily see fighting for a playing spot mm-hmm. and, you know, get 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 another top three pick. Um, and this is a team who can accelerate the, the rebuild fast, just like, you know, the Tigers did. I'm sure you guys talked about that on straight shooting. But I, I think there are kind of some parallels between these two teams where you think it's going to be bad. Boom, the Tigers trade for Austin Meadows, and now people are talking about, oh, hey, they can get a wild card. Right, mm-hmm. the wild card is kind of equivalent to the play-in in the NBA, right. where now if the Pistons get Paolo Banchero or Bancaro, boom, that's that's a that's a wild card, right? That's the mm-hmm. that's the play-in. So I'm super excited, really, to see where next year is, and I hope those uh, those lottery balls fall in our favor. Even better than that, to keep going this way the next four or five years, we see Cade Cunningham next to the word MVP. Yep. MVP, first team All NBA. That's <laughs> he's seen that yet. But we got a hell of an MVP race going on right now. So, is it a repeat for the Joker? Has Embiid's time finally come? Are you feeling freaky? A little Greek freaky? These numbers keep changing, Ryan. I swear to God, a week and a half ago, Embiid was the favorite. 
I swear I saw that. I saw a negative and a number next to his name. All of a sudden, I'm seeing Joker at minus 300 and beat at plus 270. Greek Freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo at plus 600. So I don't know what happened in the last week to flip it back from Embiid to Joker, but looking like a Joker repeat right now by the way Vegas is talking about it. Yeah, well, what really changed the odds was those uh, that M- the ESPN straw poll that they made for the MVP <laughs> where, like, you can roll your eyes and people say, oh, it's just ESPN, whatever. I would bet everything that I own that they polled at least a couple of MVP voters. And that's a straw poll that Joker won by a landslide because the media, you know, the MVP voters are the media. So I don't think ESPN just pulled a random, you know, a hundred people or like random people that worked in their office. I think they got, you know, votes from just from guys who have MVP votes, right? Or poll results from guys who have MVP votes. So I do think at least at that time, it was pretty indicative of how you can expect the, the MVP voting to go. And, Jokic has the advanced stats, you know, beat out with uh, in in terms of him versus Embiid versus Giannis. I think Giannis, if you're just looking at the eye test, is the best player from all three. Reign, a reigning Finals MVP, NBA champion, obviously, and uh, you know, Joel Embiid has just been mo- like consistent, you know, the the entire year, and has definitely well, maybe not faced the most turmoil because then. Jokic lost his last two players, but I think his, his other best two players. But yeah, or but Embiid has faced you know uh, probably the most not media scrutiny, but the biggest media circus with the James with the James Harden thing now and the Ben Simmons thing mm-hmm. before. Whereas when Jamal Murray and Michael Porter went Jr. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. You know were out for the season, everyone was just kind of like eh because they didn't expect the Nuggets to really do anything anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the trade off of that is. Jokic has the least amount of team success between, uh, you know, Embiid and and Giannis. And I think the Nuggets right now are now they're not fighting to be in the play-in, but it's a team that's trying to like fight to get out of it, right? <laughs> kind of hovering like with that with that seven seed. So it, it's interesting. My vote would be for Jokic. I think what he's done with the teammates that he's had has has been super impressive. Um, but you know, Embiid had the Sixers at the top spot in the East, or fighting for the top spot in the East for a, a really like long stretch of the year, and uh, and what Giannis has done just these last this last like month, really two weeks, where it's just statement game after statement game after statement game. Mm-hmm. They had the game against the Sixers where he blocked Embiid to to win the game. He had a forty point um, you know double double and blocked Embiid's game winner to win the game, like. Yeah. yeah, and Giannis, you know, I think Giannis is the, the best two-way player of the three. Jokic is probably the most interesting, and Embiid's pro- – I don't even know if Embiid's more dominant than Giannis. This is how good Giannis is. But it's it's a really good MVP race, and I had to take even just a month ago maybe when we talked about it, not that long, where I said I think Jokic is MVP, and I think it should be unanimous because I think most MVPs should be unanimous. I don't think this one should be unanimous anymore. Mm-hmm. These three guys – should be neck and neck and neck. And, you know, I think I think they will be, maybe not so much, like, it might not be the closest voting we've ever had, but I think we'll have all three of these guys with the first place vote, with multiple first place votes, I should be, which, mm-hmm. you know, we don't usually see. Yeah, so let's break down the straw poll real quick. I'm going to get into the, you know, exactly a bunch of the things that you said. So ESPN asked 100 media members to participate. It's informal. 
To make it as realistic as possible, they used two voters from each of the league's 28 markets. And then they also brought in national and international reporters to get those votes as well. And the votes were collected over a bunch of days. They did this before back in mid-February, and that was when Embiid was in the lead, which is why probably exactly what you said. We saw all the time Embiid was the favorite. Uh, In this last one, Joker claimed 62 of 100 first-place votes. uh, And so it was a narrow victory over Embiid, a little bit of a larger victory over uh, Giannis. But 860 points to Joker. 719 to Embiid and 593 to Giannis. Now, when you look at what exactly the things that you were talking about with with Nikola losing Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And despite doing that, 27 points, 14 rebounds, basically, eight assists while shooting 58% from the field. Leads the league in triple doubles with 19, the second most by a center behind only Will Chamberlain. And in the top 10 in points, rebounds, and assists per game, as well as field goal percentage, which is something no one's done over the last 50 years. So his numbers are absolutely ridiculous, even though his team is absolutely not ridiculous. Now, Embiid got a team fighting for that first place point, the spot in the East. Same with Giannis, averaging 30, 12, and four. And he's probably the most unstoppable big man in the league today. And he's gotten better over as the season's gone on. And he's averaging over 30 points throughout the last three months. He's very consistent. He goes about his business and gets his buckets. And he's been getting his team wins, even with dealing with the media circus that you were talking about, his own circus on the team of Ben Simmons and now James Harden. And then you got Giannis, former MVP, probably defensive player of the year. (laughs) Very much missing stars of his own. Lost Brooke Lopez. What'd he do? He stepped up and played center. Middleton and Drew Holiday, slow seasons. Giannis became the primary playmaker to make up for them not, not starting the season hot. They started getting hotter. Teams started getting better. Giannis not having to do as much. And then at the same time, going out and doing everything. Hala, <laughs> what we just talked about with that last game against the Sixers. And he's coming on strong now. And I absolutely agree with what you said. This should not be a unanimous um, I think Giannis is more on the outside looking in just a little bit more out of the other two. If I was going to pick one that I thought would have the least amount of votes, I think it would be Giannis this year. You can legit make an argument for all three of these guys and a detracting argument for all three of these guys, depending on which angle you want to take. And I mean, who are we to go against what all the media voters are saying? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, so I, I do think this is interesting because it's typically like this in, you know, most seasons, right? The best player doesn't always win MVP. I think Jordan only has maybe six of them, right? Uh, Magic has five. I think LeBron only has about four. Uh, Wait, season MVPs? Yeah. Season MVPs, Kareem's got six. I think MJ's got five. Okay. Magic and Bird both have three. LeBron's got So... Yeah, I mean, so that just goes to show the NBA or the MVP doesn't always go to the best player in the NBA. Jack's got one. Yeah, Kobe's got one. <laughs> Jack's got one. Kobe's got one. AI's got one. Like, Tim Duncan's got one. Like, so who who do you think not MVP? Who do you think is just the best player in the NBA right now? If part of me wants to say Steph, but I don't know if I can say Steph for overall NBA player. Joker, I can say for a lot of reasons, but defensively, he's a bit of a liability. Giannis might be, 
he's got it on defense and he's figured it out a lot more on offense. You know, he, he's learned a bit of an outside jump shot to go along with his paint dominance. If you put a gun to my head, I'd say the argument is Joker and Giannis with Embiid probably just outside of that group. It's probably these three just of overall basketball play offensively, defensively, get, you know, assists, getting your teammates involved. Like to me, basketball is a team game. That's why I've always hated the whole greatest player crap, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, who Kobe, Magic, Will, whoever. Basketball's a team game. And you can be the greatest at something, you can be the greatest at one particular spot of it, position-wise, whatever. But to me, being the best at basketball means that you you are playing great as a team and you are winning basketball games. So I'm I'm weird like that, but <laughs> <laughs> so uh uh I think I don't want to say Joker's not in the argument, but he doesn't even like cross my mind for me because I do think Giannis is a better player. What he does on both ends, he's shown it in the playoff, and not that Jokic has been bad in the playoffs. Uh, but what you said, like he doesn't have the team around him that that Giannis did. But for for me, it's either Giannis or KD. And as much as I want to say KD, because I I love his shooting, it's a clear advantage that he has over Giannis is KD can fire it from anywhere. The other mm-hmm. night, I think he just had 55 points, uh, but they lost that game to go right. to your you, – you got to win, right? He had 55 points and a loss. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. Giannis, it's just every time I watch him, he's adding more to his game, and it's unbelievable. Like, he's becoming it's, it's a better impressive. defender. He's, he's becoming a better passer. He's becoming a better shooter. Um, I think his free throw numbers, I don't have them in front of me this year, but they're, like, respectable. He's not taking the 10 seconds anymore. You can't even count down because he's not taking that long, and he's, right. he's making them. Uh, his three-point shot, I think he's at 30 or 31%, which not great, but, hey, it, it'll do. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's not anything that – um. You know, now if a team leaves you open, he hit a not a dagger three the other night, but a three to I think either take the lead real late or like tie the game really late. So he's to me, he's just that guy when his team always needs him um, to call like they call on him an awful lot. And it seems like he always comes through. Maybe it's the championship bias from last year. And remembering the 50 piece he dropped in, in game six to, to seal the title. But to me, I do think Giannis is the best player. Uh, I do think Jokic should be the MVP, but uh, I don't know. Giannis is just is is unbelievable every time I watch him. Not that all these guys aren't, I guess, but Giannis just pops out more to me. I mean, when you when you up your your point total now to your highest of your career, which is what he's at right now, if he finished at thirty point one, it is high is the highest of his career. Twenty nine point five was two years ago, and you also increased your assists a little bit as well, so you're still making sure your teammates get theirs, like. And you play defense, and you rebound the basketball. Like, and, I mean, when I say defense, I mean play real defense. Like, not LeBron chase down block defense, but actually want to take on the guy, face him up with the ball, and lock him down. And like, and and the Bucks are a good team too. Like, but he doesn't. He's not playing with James Harden, right? He's is a Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton, very, very good that. players, <laughs> love them, but. If you had a team with just Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday as the two best players, you're probably looking at a play-in, or you might be like where the Pelicans are at right now with McCollum and Brandon Ingram, and you know you're trying to fight your way in into a play-in spot. And now you add Giannis, and you're you know NBA champion, top three seed in in the East. 
And I don't know. It's just what he does is impressive. And I do think maybe he doesn't get enough credit for not even for how bad his teammates are. But you know what I'm trying to say. He's not like. <laughs> no, I don't. You know, no. He's not out here playing with the Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. Warriors. No, absolutely not. Chris Middleton is streaky as can be. He can be fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. He can end up leading the team in scoring. And he can also just absolutely disappear. Now, he has done the disappearing act a lot less over the last two to three years. But yeah. there were a lot of years of Chris Middleton just being there and not really doing his part as Robin to, you know, Giannis's Batman. And he stepped it up. He definitely stepped it up in the finals last year. He is the reason – his play is the reason that Phoenix is not a defending national cha- world champion right now. Chris Middleton stepped it up and made damn sure that that Giannis had help and Milwaukee ended up, you know, coming back and winning that. If he's not involved, they're not that good of a team. So he is very important. But, yes, he's not – Giannis has done a lot with – not as much as other teams have, other other stars have. And shout out to some of these other guys, you know, John Morant, Devin Booker, DeMar DeRozan, guys who have had really nice years, but uh, I don't think they should be in the conversation for, for MVP anyway. But they've had nice years, and they'll probably finish, you know, anywhere from four to eighth. Uh, Luca too, who's been on some, some stupid, incredible tear. Uh, yeah, nothing later. wrong with being a top 10 MVP voter. <laughs> no, for for sure that Never that'll go right on. That. that goes right on the basketball reference page. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Top ten votes. But this, but it can only be one, just like every year. And we think we have our three that are going to be the top three vote getters. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think Joker ends up stealing it away from Embiid in the end. But I think it's going to be pretty close. And if there's only one podcast you can listen to, make sure it's Throwing Stones. <laughs> absolutely uh so that is it for us tonight gotta remind you like subscribe everywhere you can find us facebook instagram twitter tiktok youtube he's ryan griffin i'm matt bassin we throw in stones thank you for hanging out with us tonight we'll see you guys again real soon that's right killian stock going up Mm mm-hmm